And I think we all have these birds in our heart. And some people are walking around with dead birds in their hearts, right? But the artists, I think, are the ones who have the more sensitive birds and also the louder birds. And so I want to encourage your listeners to listen to the canaries in their heart, to recognize that they as artists have this power, this canary in their heart that can help other people's birds come back to life. So recognize your value in this world, please. You make our hearts sing. Today's episode is sponsored by my free ebook, The Artist Profit Plan. To get your hands on it, go to shulmanart.com forward slash profit. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world inside a podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hey there, this is Miriam Shulman, Chief Inspiration Officer and host of the Inspiration Place podcast where we help passionistas, passion makers, and passion professionals reconnect with their creativity and profit from their passion. Today is episode number 119. And we're talking all about why you don't need social media to make a thriving career as an artist. Today's guest has made her living as an independent artist since 2003. Her work focuses on questions of identity and belonging, often expressed through portraiture, and it has been featured on Hyperallergic, Boing Boing, Newsweek, and Bust. This artist speaks regularly about creativity and culture, both locally and internationally, most notably at a TEDx Geneva. Ooh. Born in Saudi Arabia in 1981, she has lived, now I'm like trying to calculate how old you are. She has lived most of her life in France and the US. Please welcome to the inspiration place, Gwen Seymour. Hello, so glad to be here. I am so happy to have you. I feel like I know you even though we've never actually met. It's one of those funny things, one of those internet things. And we tried to get together in New Jersey. We did. We did. <laughs> and we will probably try again someday soon, break some laws, <laughs> breathe on each other. I don't know. <laughs> that's, one of these days, for well, sure. Right. Although that's not exactly on brand with what we're talking about today. <laughs> the reason I'm inviting you on the show is I got super excited when you announced that you were disappearing off of Facebook. I was like... <laughs> Oh my gosh, I have to get Gwen on the show and talk about this. I'm so excited. So first of all, for everybody who doesn't know, please share that message you blasted to everybody. So we're not just talking about leaving the Facebook group, you know, how people announce I'm leaving this group because I don't like it anymore. Unfollowing. No, Gwen, you left all of Facebook, right? I did. I deleted all of Facebook and all of the Zuckerverse, as I like to call it, because there's many companies that are underneath the Facebook umbrella, like Instagram and WhatsApp, all of that gone, no more. I love it. I already have a title picked out for this episode, that song, Forget You. Okay. Yeah. So it's called Forget You Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and I should be clear. I'm saying forget you to Facebook. I don't think everybody has to, but it's right for me. 
I love being loud about doing it in case other people are thinking about it. So that's why I'm talking about it so much. That's why I'm so glad that you've invited me to talk about it. And by the way, full disclaimer, I am a Zuckerberg slut. I spend lots of money on Facebook advertising. I am very much part of the problem, just so you know. <laughs> I wish I could be somebody like you. I think it's amazing what you're doing and it's an inspiration. So just full disclosure, I do use lots of Facebook advertising, but I use it to promote my art classes. I have never used Facebook. No, I shouldn't say never because that's not true. I no longer use and I haven't in a very long time used any form of Facebook advertising to sell art. I firmly believe you do not need Facebook to sell your artwork. I think it was like 2016, Corey Huff, who's an art coach I met years ago, we were both living in Portland, Oregon at the time. He put out a book called How to Sell Your Art Online. And he used my career as an example of how to do it. And like specifically was on about my social media use because I really came up with social media, like when it was becoming a thing for artists, that's when I was basically becoming an artist. So I feel like we sort of raise each other, me and, and social media for artists. Obviously, there were other artists involved in the raising of social media, but you know what I mean? Like, it just feels like we are intimately connected. And so for me to leave was kind of a really big deal. Mm. And not something that I just did like flipping the switch. Like one day I was like, that's it. We're done. Forget you. <laughs> like <laughs> I worked on this for a while to, cause you know, you're talking about like, I would like to be able to do that, but I don't think maybe I can or something like that. Like I definitely went through all of those feels like last year, end of 2019, I took three months off to see if I could even do it emotionally, mm. but then also to see what it would do to my business. So it's it's definitely something that you have to negotiate. I don't think it's something that you can just easily do if you're an artist who's made their business online. Yeah. So I have broken up with social media on my phone. It is not allowed on my phone. I do not have Instagram on my phone. I do not have Twitter on my phone. I do not have Facebook on my phone. The only thing I do have is on my phone is Facebook Messenger. So really, the only things I have on my phone are communication things, direct communication, like People can text me, call me, message me, and that's it. And God forbid somebody sends me a message and I see on my desktop like that they've sent me an IG message that I can't look at on my desktop. I'm like, okay, well, that's too bad for you. You know, like I'm not reading, I'm not installing that app back on my phone just for you. <laughs> Occasionally that happens. I'm like, nope. And I do post on these places, but it's all through the desktop. I don't have it on my phone. It's good. Yeah, it's good to have boundaries, I think, with it, whatever they are. Like for me, it's a hard boundary with the Zuckerverse. That's my thing. But like for you, not having it on your phone is what helps, you know? <laughs> Zuckerverse. What I teach artists inside the Artist Incubator is that they do not need to build an Instagram following. There's like, I think a lot of people out there, and I'm not trying to paint them as being evil. That's not what I mean at all. You know, it's like, well, if only you had, you, you could build a following, then you could be a really rich artist, you know, that kind of, right, right, that kind of selling thing. And for some people, maybe it did work at one time. I noticed how I added at one time. It's true. It's really changed in the last like four years, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Artists who will come to work with me, they'll say, well, you know, I just don't know what the perfect hashtag is for, and then they'll insert their type of art. So let's say, like I talked to a metal smith or um, someone who does felt art. I says, well, you know who knows what the perfect hashtag is for your felt art? Other felt artists. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Art, your art collectors yeah, no do not know what the perfect hashtag <laughs> is. 
And here's the thing about social media is that it is a rented space. Like you have mm. no control over it. The companies are going to change it as they want. I'm sure they've done it to you already. If you've been on there for any amount of time, any social media platform, they've made changes that you haven't liked and you don't get to say anything. They are the landlords. They are the ones who decide. So if you want to avoid that headache, but still be social, have a site, sure, but also have a mailing list because then you are in control of being able to stay in touch with those people. No one can take that list away from you. No one can like make it so that you can only contact them through your phone or whatever, you know, like with Instagram <laughs> and you, but like it really becomes yours then. And I think that's, what's really important to remember is that you want to have a home, not a, like a rented space. That's like kind of a party being thrown by jerks. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of what social media is. Like they're not into the idea of making the party better. They're no. just into the idea of making people stay at the party and watch ads. Like that's their like whole mean revenue. Girls, mean girls where it's yeah. like, you can come in the lunchroom, but we're not even going to look at you. Right. Unless you're going to cough up some money, then then we're interested in you. you know? So that's why I wanted to say at the beginning, I happily cough up the money to make yeah. money. I am what's paying for this universe. Like I want people to stay. So that's the thing mm -hmm. that's kind of tricky for me with this conversation is like we're saying you don't need it. And then I'm saying, oh, but please stay on it long enough to see my ads. <laughs> Yeah, but that's not the only way that you sell your stuff. I mean, you do this podcast. You have lots of different promotional means. My paid advertising is my number one way of finding new customers for my classes. That's what I want to be extremely clear about. Not for my high-end art. Mm -hmm. I don't use advertising on social media for that. And I don't believe artists should be using social media for that. I don't feel like that's the right way to go. Publicity is free. Publicity is far superior to any kind of paid advertising you can do to sell art. Do you agree with that? Oh, for sure. I, one of the earliest lessons that I learned, just looking at musician friends of mine as I was coming up as an artist, like their whole world sells via the look, right? They have to have the look of the musician. It's the like, it's the cover of their album. All of it is based on look. And then weirdly, visual art sells on all on sound, all on the buzz that other people are like what they're saying about your work. Like it really yeah. almost doesn't matter what your work looks like as long as people are talking about it and people, not you, are talking about it. You can yeah. definitely add to the conversation and sort of like talk about it in a way that's interesting. So people are like, oh yeah, and I repeat what you say. And you know, then it sort of builds that buzz. But it really is all about other people talking about your work. That is your whole goal as an artist trying to promote your work is get other people talking about your art. This is not for you, Gwen. This is for you, the listener, you. So if you, listener, could set one goal for 2021, I would say it's that. Get publicity. Find those art collectors. That's the ticket. Like If you look at Ashley Longshore, yes, she has a big Instagram following, but that's because she built up a celebrity through press. And I think she even invested in like a media person too to work with. Yeah. And you don't even have to do that. Those the thing like literally reaching out to get people to talk about your work can be as simple as writing your best friend and being like, this is what I'm working on right now. Like it could literally totally. be that, that, that simple word of mouth of like, you tell your friend, they tell their friend, or they even just draw you out about your work. So suddenly you're writing them or saying things to them that you never knew you even thought about your own art. And you're like, Hey, that actually sounds really smart. I'm going to put that in the copy on my site, or I'm going to put that in my Instagram post. Like those conversations, all of them are so important. It's just vital that you just start talking to people about your work and that will then get the ball rolling on others talking about your work.
totally agree with you. I'm so glad we're here agreeing with each other. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about the email list, Gwen. How large is your email list? Do you mind my asking? Is that it's a dirty not question? Huge. It's not huge. I actually have two, technically three, because I also have a French one. So I have one that's more like a monthly digest. And then I have one that I send out every time I publish something new on my blog or a new piece. And so you, there's people who are signed up for both of them. There's people who are signed up for just one or the other. It's just sort of what they want. I have about 200 people on my, like every time I publish something new, I only have about 180 on the like monthly digest. And some of that has to do with literally, I've spent over 10 years telling people to follow me on Facebook instead of on my mailing list. So I'm going to have to do some rebuilding of my mm. mailing list because of that. That's another thing. Like I just gave all of my power, all of my communication, all of my interaction with people to a company. And I did that for years. Okay. Who's the, who's the art slut now? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I did. I gave it all away. I did. Because I want to say something like all the money that I spent on Facebook was to get people onto my email list. Yeah, nicely done. All of it. Every yeah. single dollar it was to get people onto an email list. Yeah. You do not need a large list. I have a client who made $5,000 in October 2020 of a list of under 200 people, or maybe it, maybe she just hit 200. I forget. I wrote it down somewhere how much how many, many people, but not a large list. So you don't need thousands of people on your list to make it work. So with Instagram, you need thousands and thousands to get attention, but not email. Yeah, the whole like quality versus quantity thing, this is where social media is at. It is all about the quantity right now. They want you to be making live stuff. They want you to be posting instant like throwaway things. That's just to keep people on their site. That's literally all they care about. It's not about the quality of what you're making. But when you then move to an email list, you're looking all for the quality. It's the people who actually want to get that message. It's the people who want to engage with you. And so who are going to potentially be spending money on your work more so than the people that you're just broadcasting to on social media. Mm. So how have your art sales been since you broke up with Mark? You know what? They haven't changed actually very much, but what has changed is my whole emotional everything. Like instead of receiving comments on social media and having to answer them, and so it's public, I'm still on LinkedIn and Twitter, so I'm still doing a little bit of this. So I can really A, B it. Like when someone comments on a blog post or something on social media, I'm always sort of reticent about like sharing anything personal. But when someone emails me directly after having read something of mine and like shares about themselves in a way that they maybe wouldn't do publicly, I'm then inspired to share back with them. Now I'm having conversations about the vegan cheese that I make with people that I didn't even know were vegan also, you know, like these are things that probably wouldn't have come up on social media just because I'm a little bit shyer. I'm not going to share like that I'm a vegan even necessarily. So the whole emotional aspect of getting away from the Zuckerverse has been like, there's no way to put a price on it. I mean, it's only been since I completely deleted it, it's not even been a month. Mm. So there hasn't been any changes at this point. Good for you. I'm a vegan too, by the way. Oh, hey. Yeah. Hey. yeah. Do you put that on social media? Is that a thing that you share a lot? Not often because yeah. I don't know. It just feels like it's kind of extra information. But, totally. you know, if it comes up, it's not like I'm hot. But I'll definitely it. share with you some vegan cheese recipes if you're interested. I'm, I'm a lazy vegan. So uh. <laughs> I, I will go to a vegan restaurant with you, but I'm not <laughs> pressing my own cashew nuts into cheese. You will take my vegan cheese if I make some I for you. I would love that. <laughs> okay, God. Is there a good vegan restaurant in, in Long Beach where you live? There is a place. This is terrible. I'm going to say it though. It's called Living on the Veg. It is so yummy, but 
we are on what's called island time here where people just close whenever they want. It doesn't really matter what their posted hours are. And of all the places that I frequent on the island, living on the veg is the worst. Like you literally go there. It's a schlep for me. Like it's not in my immediate neighborhood. So like I drive, you know, in the summertime, like 40 minutes to go there. And they just decided they didn't feel like being open that day. And there's no way that you can know that. So it's unfortunate, but that's that's why I make my own vegan cheese because nobody else is going to do it for me around here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm very lazy vegan. Very. I will make make a tofu scramble. Nice. See, I wouldn't do that because I didn't ever like eggs. And that's too like reminding me of eggs. So... But, you know, I would eat your vegan scramble, like oh, tofu cool. scramble. I would, okay. I would definitely. Right, I like we will make scramble. some post-COVID plans together. Yeah, sounds good. Right. <laughs> or even lazier, can you meet me in the city and we'll go to like somebody <laughs> else's <laughs> vegan scramble? Blossom is my favorite. Mm. Have you ever been there? There's a blossoming lotus in Portland, which may be like related well, somehow no. to it. Oh, I've been no. there. It's so good. Yeah, it's that's so a good place. Good. Yeah. That's really good. No, it's not related. It's okay. Blossom. There's several in the city there. It was actually, okay, we've gone way off topic, by the way. <laughs> We're just going to assume like either the foodies out there are staying with us because we have such compelling content. But anyway, there's a couple of Blossoms in New York. They're owned by a divorced couple that started a Blossom. And now there's oh, cool. multiple Blossoms by the two different people. Nobody paid for that, by the way. They are not a sponsor of the show, (laughs) (laughs) which is terrible that we spent all that time discussing brands that are not paying to be on this podcast. All right. This is a question Gwen asked me to ask her. (laughs) I don't remember even doing this. It's it's going to be new content for me. No, I'm reading it and I'm trying to like change it from first person to third person. (laughs) What art do you place in the public domain and what are, okay, so it was something about public, putting your art in the public domain. (laughs) All right. We're talking about copyright that I know now. And we're talking about how I don't believe in copyright. And this is like my whole social media. This is controversial. I know. I know. But this is like my social media decision, right? Like I'm saying this is good for me. That doesn't mean that it has to be for you. But I do just want to put the plug out there. And this is what I like to do when I'm talking about copyright, which is that copyright generally is better for people who have lots of money. The people who can hire all the lawyers to make all the things happen, it's generally going to protect corporations, so corporate intellectual property, more than it's going to protect the average individual artist. So I'm just putting that out there as a, like a basic unfairness that exists in the copyright universe, which is why I encourage people learning about copyright and its alternatives, because there are other options. You don't just have to be either pro-copyright or in the public domain. There's things in between there that are options as well. Okay. So what do you mean by that? Because I'll t- okay, so my philosophy is people are going to rip me off no matter what. If I catch them and I can do something about it, I will, but I'm not wasting my time looking for them, if that makes any sense. Because I know yeah. there are a lot of artists who waste, I don't want to say waste, that's a judgy way to put it. They spend a lot of time with those sites like Image Rights where they upload their art and the site like looks for people who have ripped them off throughout the universe. So my attitude is pretty similar to yours. I'm just not interested in spending a lot of time on hunting people down. And generally, it comes to me like it's a friend who says, hey, I saw your work just most recently on the label of a goat's milk ice cream in southern France. So like, your work is going to be used if it's online, it will be used by people. In this case, the farm had no idea that they were stealing art from an artist. They had an intern who was designing the label who just decided to grab my work instead of actually do the work of drawing a goat. 
the farmers themselves had no idea this is going to happen. And it's not always malicious, like in this case. For me, I would rather just have a conversation with people and be like, hey, did you know that that's my work? And where did you find it? Because it's good. You can do market research. Be like, so how did this come about? Oh, it's an intern who, you know, this is the way that happened. You're figuring out like where your work is getting seen. And then in this case, the farm has offered to send me ice cream, which obviously isn't going to happen because I live in the US, but I'm going to have them send it to a friend of mine who's in France where they can ship it. So there can be nice things that happen out of not pursuing something legally and instead going this other route of being like, hey, we now have something in common, my drawing. What are we going to do about this? By the way, I was not as nice as you when I (laughs) discovered my art on a bar of soap. I was and, I was and on vacation and and there was my art on a bar of soap that I it's shocking right like I didn't get paid for like, it yeah so I think I've told this story in the podcast already but I am in Provincetown my daughter and I go into the soap thing I make a for some reason I made a beeline for the soap section because I was looking for gifts and I thought oh what a great idea a bar of soap with a picture of the beach on it except that it was my painting on that wow. bar of soap, right? I mean, they had a bunch of other artist soaps, which I'm sure all the other artists got ripped off as well. So I went up to the the guy behind the counter who owned the soap. Actually, he was the owner. I, and I just said, who's the vendor for this? Because I knew it wasn't him. And then he gave me the contact information and I did send a cease and desist letter or pay up now type of, you know, it's like a pay me. And or- that is an option. That is totally an option. Yeah. There are other options. Let's talk about what the sort of the in-between of being pro-copyright and being pro-public domain is. I did take a very soft, what in my mind was a soft option because I could have gone for a lot more money. I decided, all right, let's pretend he had asked, whatever. I I think I got 500 bucks. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I could have done if I wanted to be a real asshole about it, (laughs) I could have taken pictures of all the other soaps Right. Found out all those other (laughs) artists and done some sort of class action, really burn the house down on this guy. But I just chose not to. I just didn't, you know, was because it's like like a kind of thing. It's like, okay, I want to protect my thing. And it wasn't that, that I was like too bad for you other artists. I just didn't feel it was worth my time doing all that. Mm-hmm. So sure. anyway, yeah. go ahead with the nicer things that I didn't do. So, so there are options. <laughs> and specifically, a good one is called the Creative Commons. And if you've never heard of it, I will explain it a little bit. But I also want to encourage people to look up literally just like search on the internet, Creative Commons Kiwi video, like Kiwi is in the bird or the fruit, but it is a bird in this case. And there's like a really fun explainer video that really gets into what Creative Commons is. But basically, it's a group of licenses that take apart what copyright is, because copyright isn't just one thing that you're protecting. You are saying whether or not someone can use your work. You're saying whether or not someone can make a derivative work from your work. You're saying how and when and all of this stuff, whether they can make money. There's a lot of rights that are within copyright. And what Creative Commons does is just separates them out. So for example, I think a lot of artists identify this way. They're the kind of person who's like, I don't care if other artists are being inspired by what I'm doing. I just don't want a company like a soap company or a farm to come along and grab my stuff and use it to make money. Like Mm -hmm. that's where their hard line is. With copyright, if you just put the copyright C on your image, you can't communicate that that's who you are, that you're okay with inspiring other artists, but not helping companies without them paying for it. But with Creative Commons, there's literally a license that lets you say, go ahead, be inspired. Do not make money without asking first. Mm -hmm. So it's a great way to really be clear about what your boundaries are. Look it up, Creative Commons Kiwi video. Interesting. Okay, we'll put a note about that in our show notes if people want to check that out. Cool. 
Let's talk about Patreon. I know you use it and I would love to hear more about how. Yeah, so I've been on for five years. I think it started almost like six years ago. So I was a pretty early adopter. What Patreon is for people who don't know yet, it's basically like Kickstarter, but it never ends. So like Kickstarter is you ask people for micro donations, you know, small amounts of money, $5, $10, $100, whatever it is to help you make a specific project, right? There's like a beginning date on it and an end date. And hopefully you deliver by the end of it, you know, the product that you said, whatever it is, a book or a series of images, whatever it is. With Patreon and with other ongoing micro donation sites, It's basically like an automatic tip jar that charges people. They're okay with it. It charges them on a monthly basis, usually, whatever it is they want to give you every month. With Patreon, you're basically creating an inner circle among your patrons. I like to say that there are two kinds of patrons. There's the patron who supports the work that you've made already. And then there's the patron who supports your future work. And when you're looking at their behaviors, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between them, right? Because they're spending money on your art. That's basically what a patron is, is someone who's supporting your work. But there are patrons who are more focused on purchasing stuff that you've already created. And so they're sort of more interested in acquiring things that you've already done. But then there is a special subgroup of patrons who may be acquiring your objects, the stuff that you've made, but they are also really interested in being involved in what you're doing next. So those people often end up supporting artists on platforms like Patreon, because it's not so much about whatever special gift you offer them at a different pledge tier. It's it's kind of like public broadcasting, where like if you give a certain amount, you usually get a gift back. Artists can set it up so they can give different gifts for different pledge tiers. Most people who are signed up for Patreon, I don't think it's really about those gifts as much as it's about, I want to make sure that this artist keeps on making. I want to know, I want to be like the first to know what's coming out of this artist's brain next, that sort of a thing. It's a really nurturing platform. It is not passive income. I think it gets sold as like, oh, you get on, you like make a Patreon profile and then you get, you know, several hundred dollars a month every month or several thousand if you're one of those artists, you know. No, it doesn't just sort of happen like, you know, you snap your fingers and it's in your bank account every month. It's something that you definitely nurture as an artist as well. It's a a mutual nurturing situation. I love that. If someone was to be a Patreon patron for Gwen Mm -hmm. Mm Seymour, do you have any gifts for us? I do. I got some good stuff. It's stuff that you can get in other ways through my site, but I give special deals to patrons. So it's things like You could be a part of my sticker club. So every month you get a new sticker and you don't know what it's going to be and it just arrives in your mailbox. Or sometimes it's a magnet or sometimes it's a small print like a postcard, but it's called the sticker club. Or you can get drawings or paintings, but at a special deal through Patreon. So Cool. My capitalist brain is thinking, how could I do that for the podcast? Should I set up a Patreon? I know. It's one of those many to-do items. Okay. Let's talk about now your characters. So Gwen has created these characters and they are wearing masks. The Lifesavers fan art series is what I'm calling it. And I'm taking pop culture characters, making fan art. So I'm just making images that are recognizably like the My Little Pony character Rainbow Dash or Pikachu from Pikachu, characters that people know. And then I'm just slapping a blue surgical style mask on them. It's just mask positive work that is super simple to make. Artists, professional, amateur like can do it, can grab images, can trace, can do collage work, can make paintings like I'm doing, whatever it is, and then just add that mask on there. And the idea is to just flood the interwebs with images of these pop culture characters wearing masks as a way to be like, see, 
Yoda wears a mask. Why wouldn't I do it? That sort of a thing. That's what we're looking for. And I'm going to assume you're not selling these copyright protected. Oh, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Yes, it so is. yes, I am selling the original artworks and I'm encouraging the artists who participate in it because I, I want other artists to be making these images as well to sell the original artworks. I wouldn't recommend putting it on a site like Etsy or even Redbubble, those print-on-demand sites, because those are the sites where companies who own this, this IP, that's where we're going to look to try to like get you in trouble. But honestly, these are not violating the copyright of those companies. These are taking it that extra step by adding that blue mask. You are falling in the fair use area of copyright. So there is a limitation on copyright's ability to you know, be enforced and to, to control everything that's done with intellectual property. Yeah. And that's called fair use. And if you are making commentary using their imagery, that falls under fair use. Now, that doesn't mean that they might not like come and decide to sue me. If they really did want to, they could, but it would probably be a spurious lawsuit, something that most judges would look at and be like, you know what? She's making commentary. You're just trying to chill her creative you know, output. Okay. So I have to say two things. So I agree and disagree. So I agree that the creation of the art itself is fair use. However, if you use their trademark name in trying to promote it, you could get sued rightfully because then the brand name, let's say Pikachu, so that falls into like the trademark infringement, which is different. Which than, is slightly different. It's is true. different. Yeah. So you can sell the art as long as you don't label it with their brand, because that from their point of view, they just don't want. And we do have an episode on this with Autumn Boyd, I believe we discussed it, or it could have been with, oh, gee, I don't know. It could be with Kate, Katie Lane. We also discussed copyright. So those are the two lawyers I've had on. But I've, I've run into trouble myself, whereas I was creating artwork, derivative artwork, which was fully my rights to create the artwork. But it was in the titling where the companies were, we would prefer you not use our names to promote your art because that is saying that we sanction this art as yeah, that's part of it also trademark is one of those things that's more reliant on them doing that to every single person who takes their name and, and uses it essentially trademark is reinforced by companies going after people who are using whatever words they've trademarked so they have to do it in order to maintain their trademark I still think it's arguable i'm not worried about being sued by companies because i'm not putting it on my Redbubble site for example but it is something to consider when you're making this work for sure. Yeah. All right. So thanks for sharing that, Gwen. Okay. So we're going to wrap up. All right. Now, if you want to see this pop culture characters and get involved, you said that's on your blog. Is that correct? Yeah. Just go to gwensemel.com slash lifesavers and you'll find the whole series. Now to wrap up, do you have any last words for my listeners before we call this podcast complete? The thing that I'm really obsessed with right now is this idea of having a canary in my heart, like sort of like the canary in the coal mine. You know, the concept of the canary that it protects the miners because it'll sing. And then when there's no more air left, it'll stop singing. And that's when the miners know that they need to get out, right? I feel like I have a canary in my heart that's singing mm. and I need to listen if she's maybe singing a little bit less loudly to sort of direct me. And I think we all have these birds in our heart. And some people are walking around with dead birds in their hearts, right? But the artists, I think, are the ones who have the more sensitive birds and also the louder birds. And so I want to encourage your listeners to, to listen to the canaries in their heart, to recognize that they as artists have this power, this canary in their heart 
that can help other people's birds come back to life. So recognize your value in this world, please. You make our hearts sing. Oh, Gwen, that is so beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I really appreciate you and your time. Thank you. Everyone, just listen up. Next week, we have a two-parter. Next week and the following week, it's going to be the Inspiration Place Rewind. We'll be sharing the best of the Inspiration Place from 2020. And you do not want to miss it. So make sure you hit the subscribe or the follow button in your podcast app. And if you're feeling extra generous, would you please leave me a review? We've made it so much easier. Just pop on over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash inspire. And if you are still on social media and you pop your Instagram handle at the end of the review, then I'll even give you a shout out over on my IG stories. And if you're wondering how I do that without it being on my phone, there is a way to do it from the desktop. Trust me. All right, guys, thank you so much for being with me here today. I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Stay inspired. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com.